Hello and welcome to Learning from a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. I'm back again with Cameron Christensen, Matt Christensen, and that other person who I will refer to as he who shall remain nameless. Um, I'm about as dangerous. He who must not be named? I don't remember what they call him in Harry Potter. That's the one. That's right. Okay, Tim's back. Um, Okay, so today we're going to talk about teaching methods. And uh, as given that many of us out there have become uh, far more interactive with our children and our students than we have in the past, uh, and we've got new challenges with this whole uh, lockdown pandemic thing, we thought we'd offer some ideas from teaching uh, a teaching professional in Tim and some uh, few of us that have had some minor teaching experience otherwise about what things might work uh, and what things to maybe avoid as far as uh, what uh, what can help your student or generally cause uh, some issues. So let's start with uh, with what Tim uh, what Tim uses in his classroom. Tim, what, what have you found effective in teaching? Okay, so a a quick prelude. Um, The things I'm going to talk about are things that I'm always working on. And anyway, I just want to point out it's these are hard to easy to understand, hard to do right. Don't get down on yourself if like everything's not working right away. Even teachers with years of experience, it's it's challenging. So that said, the first thing I'm going to put out there is something that I learned years ago and that has really helped me in one-on-one interactions, which is a lot of what, you know, our teaching at home with kids is going to be. It's called Praise Prompt Leave. And it's a it's something that a expert on teaching called Fred Jones has put out there, and he's got a lot of good stuff. But this is one thing that anyone can use, whether you're a teacher or not. Um, it it basically what you do is you have to short circuit a natural human tendency and that is the tendency to find and point out the mistake first so if i for example see that little little jimmy is doing his math problem and i see that you know he has um you know let's say he's doing a uh, a division problem and he's divided, but he forgot to write down the remainder or something. So our first impulse is, as a teacher and, and as a, maybe a parent at home helping with homework is say, Jimmy, hey, you forgot to do the remainder. We point out the mistake. Uh, here's the problem with that, pedagogically speaking. That's not where he's at in his learning. That's what he hasn't learned yet. By pointing that out, we're actually, it's not effective teaching. Um, what we want to do is first reinforce what he has gotten correct and the learning that he has gotten done so far. Um, and this is for two reasons. One, it's just pedagogical. Um, that's uh, good teaching reinforces the learning that's already happened rather than shoving the kid off into the stuff they don't know. Uh, the second reason is psychological. If you're leading every time with, hey, you keep making mistakes, uh, that's a downer and pretty soon the kid is either one going to feel really down on themselves in the learning experience or two they're going to get frustrated and eventually give up um so praising actually by starting out by praising the what they've done correctly so far that helps one to reinforce their learning and two it helps to keep them going um and i feel like this could be applied to like kids like your own kids like 
parenting as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Human interaction in general, I think, even anytime you're trying to shape or influence human interaction, yeah. Sorry, where does really quick, where does corporal punishment come in? <clears throat> well, that that's the follow up part. That's uh, okay. when when they do that it wrong. Prompts? After that, then you break break out the ruler and slap their wrist. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. Just we kidding. just made people mad. Addis- additionally, you were saying pedag- pedagogical. Um, that's having to do with teaching, right? That's the science. Sorry, yes. Yeah, it's like technically sound teaching. In other words, this is this is teaching. It's actually effective. So we don't just do it because it makes us feel good and makes them feel good. We do it because it works. Um, but the, the problem is it, it goes against human nature. We are, we are hardwired to spot the mistake. And um, it's not that we don't want to spot a mistake. It's just that we have to spot it and then go a step before. Okay, Jimmy forgot to write the... The remainder, but Jimmy did do the subtraction correctly underneath, and you know, and find the so so I so I would say something like this instead of going up and saying Jimmy, you forgot to put the remainder in, I would say, hey Jimmy, good job on you know on finding the right value and subtracting the number. You you did the subtraction right here, excellent. That's a great start. And then I'd say I, I the second step is the prompt. So you praise, then you prompt. You say, okay, Jimmy. Here's the next step for you. Now I want you to figure out what the remainder is and see if you can write that down. Um, so now we're framing it in terms of here's what you've learned and done successfully from the learning. And now we want you to take the next step because good teaching does that too. It pushes you into that next step. But now we're doing it from the perspective of what they've already done. We've reinforced the learning they have done. And then we prompt them to do just one step. Uh, a quick note with the prompt, keep it simple. You, you don't want to say, you know, for example, if it's a big, long multiplication thing, you don't want to say, okay, Jimmy, now go on and do these next five steps here. Prompt them to do the next step where they got it wrong, just a, one simple task. And then let them do it. Um, you, in, in a classroom, this is where the teacher would walk away and maybe do the same process with another student. And then they'd come back a bit later and they'd check and say, all right, Jimmy, let's see how you do. Oh, hey, you wrote the remainder correctly there. Good job. And then you prompt to do the next thing. Now try to do that whole process with this next problem. If they made a mistake, then you praise prompt, you start over. Okay, Jimmy, hey, thanks for writing the remainder up here. You did it in the right spot, and I see what you were thinking. Now, this is not the correct number for the remainder. Let's talk about it. And then you prompt them. So anyways, just three steps, praise, prompt, leave. Um, If you do that, and if you keep it really simple um, and focus on next steps, you can actually have really effective interactions with your kids. They don't feel down nearly as quickly or frustrated because they're taking it in small steps. Uh, It's staying positive. It's reinforcing what they're learning. Um, It's not like a silver bullet that makes everything perfect, but it's a really good methodology for working with the kid, or, or as Matt pointed out, for working with anyone to help them to take the next step in their learning. Well, that sounds good. Um, is that, I'd, I'd imagine that that's more effective for some kids than others, though, as far as uh, some might be more jaded to the praise? Is that? Oh, well, and and you do want to be careful with that, if you, especially if your praise is um, superficial. <laughs> you say, um, good job. So you wrote in English, numbers, Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> good <Yeah>. job. <laughs> 
and and so you, you do have to be careful with that and and i found sometimes that it's a little tricky to to you know to try to find something to praise um if they're if they're really doing a bad job and maybe there's times where you you don't have much to go on and you just say hey all right um Thanks for trying. I, I appreciate your sticking with it with this effort here. If you can really say that sincerely, I think even your most jaded kids, unless you're already in a in a bad spiral, even your most jaded kids will will respond pretty positively. Uh, if nothing else, you can you can praise them. Say, you know what? I appreciate. I've seen you sitting here and struggling with this for ten minutes, and even though you wanted to give up, you kept trying. I want you to know I really appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so you can do something like that if you have nothing in their performance to praise but usually there's something they're getting right at least at the beginning yeah. so so okay. maybe i'm jumping the gun here a little bit but this sounds very similar to um operative conditioning uh from psychology so you're, you're doing your positive punishments and stuff like that and um, praise at the right moments that increases and reinforces their good behavior and what you want them to learn. You know, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't, um, I, I think those two things are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they can work together, you know, and, and I, I would say that this isn't just operant conditioning, um, but I think it is behavioral in that sense that you are, um, you are offering um, reinforcement for for good things they're doing, and um, so so yeah, I guess I guess there is that. I'm I'm no psychologist, but it, what you're saying sounds good to me. So Tim, you have taught a number of different courses, a, a number of different uh, demographics. Uh, what? Um, so I, I think a lot of parents right now that have multiple children at home are, are dealing with. You know, maybe different kids having different interests, different amounts of desire for for you know learning. Um, have you, so obviously that's a, a teaching method. But what adaptations can you make on a you know per student basis that help individual students kind of in 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 that kind of scenario? For okay, so so let me let me narrow that down a bit. So you talk about like students with different levels of of like learning desire or di or yeah interests. yeah just d different yeah both of those i guess d desire okay. and interest so like, let's say you know you've got a third grader and a fifth grader at home they both have you know math and history and social science and whatever else but one of them hates pretty much everything but pe and the other one is an avid reader but you know, so but but you've got you know they've got assignments coming in from online and and what are you supposed to do to be able to help motivate and or um get them uh to the point where they, they they'll engage with the, the material okay so one thing i would just put out there for if you if you got a kid that you're really struggling with is just putting a, a little bit of perspective on it um sometimes we despair when we have a kid who just is having a hard time in school uh, for various things and this may sound a little weird to hear a teacher saying this but um just coming from my own life experience i look at some people who i know did not do well in school were not successful students and have turned into very successful adults um you know and many of whom are you know earning much more than i am and <laughs> and so forth so, so 
I, I guess I, I would just say, first of all, keep the big picture in mind and think about the, the person that you're raising as a whole. Are you teaching this person to be kind, to be persistent and resilient? Um, are you teaching them in training them in your, you know, whatever is your, your, uh, your beliefs um, and, and helping them to, to appreciate their part in the world? their place in the world and so forth. If so, then the fact that maybe they're really struggling with, you know, this class or that, you know, not that you don't want to just give up and tell them, oh, it doesn't matter. But when the frustration is mounting, keep that in mind. Say, you know what, we're we're going to be okay. Um, it, anyways, just so first, just keep that faith, because I think a lot of people get so frustrated. And, and part of that frustration is born of fear. If my kid isn't can't pass this math class, then is my kid broken? Or is my kid not going to, you know, be successful or whatever? There's so many things in the world that they can do. Um, it's going to work out, you know, right? Yeah, I think that's and, good perspective. So sorry, I was just going to say, I know, I've, I've seen, um, nephews and nieces of mine that have struggled with different things obviously my children as well though um it's it's yeah i I guess for me as i've gotten older and i've seen kids grow uh everyone uh eventually acquires a a kind of social minimum of lots of these different subjects uh and, and yeah like you said not everyone has to be a rocket scientist right so uh it's important to t- keep that in perspective and the idea that they somehow are going to fail at life if they can't do long division uh, doesn't necessarily compute. And so keep that into perspective, help them understand that as well, but also teach them the importance of, you know, main, uh, maintaining some uh, discipline and working on things, even if they yes. don't necessarily uh, enjoy them as much, at least uh, show them that it, it could be something that you engage with, you recognize the relative importance of of at least giving an effort. Yeah, and and that's probably a good perspective to take from. Say, you know what? I, I know you're probably not going to use um, such and such every day. You know, what do I need to learn? Blah blah blah. Um, and and yeah, I talk to him from that perspective that this is weight training for your brain. Say, is a is an athlete going to have to do you know twenty five curls um, in a football game? You don't know. Um, but are they going to use those muscles? Absolutely. Um, are you going to have to use, you know, uh, geometry every day? Maybe not. But we're going to train up that muscle and we're going to teach you some resilience here. Um, so getting down to the brass tacks of what do you do when you have a kid who's who's struggling and resisting? Um, I, I think a couple of things are are uh, good to do. One is. Um, Take it in pieces. You don't want to, you know, slice a huge Wait, slab take the, off take the, the child to Take the child into <laughs> pieces? <laughs> there so you we go. have Problem gotten the corporal stops. punishment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, more likely the child will take you to pieces. Uh, okay, that's true. <laughs> no, um, you, don't, um, you know, if you've, got, if you've got 25 math problems, don't sit down and say, we're going to slog through all of these right now. Just say, okay, let's sit down and work through two, and let's see if we can can be successful with two. And then you do that same system. Here's the thing about praise, prompt, and leave. Um, a lot of times, students working through a challenging thing, they're they're floundering because they they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go. If you you've got to break it down into a small piece, something that they can 
successfully do. Let's let's go to a different subject just to mix it up. Let's say they got to write a big English paper and they hate writing, they hate English. Um, so help them, help them. To, yeah, I know some of you out there are, are agreeing with me. I'm offended because I'm an English teacher. So, <laughs> but you got to help them to break it down. Help them to learn how to manage a task. Um, part of that, their frustration is they see this huge thing in front of them and the human tendency is to avoid. So you say, okay, we're not going to do this whole thing right now. Let's write a thesis statement. Okay, so tell me what your thoughts are on this topic. Okay, we're going to take five minutes. We're going to talk it out. And then at the end of that five minutes, you're going to write a one-sentence thesis statement. Um, you can do a little bit of praise and prompt and leave as they as they work through that. And then after they get the thesis statement down, you say, okay, let's take a break. Let's, um, you know, if, if it's an active kid who likes to run, say, all right, let's go, uh, let's go play catch or, or, or whatever. Um, my dad, what he would always, always suggest is that I have some kind of, when I was taking on a large dreaded activity like that was to set it up to reward myself. So, okay, I've got this project is going to take three hours probably to finish. Um, every 15 minutes, I'm going to stop and I'm going to take a drink of orange juice because I like orange juice. Or I'm going to set out a bag of uh, a bag of M&Ms. And every 15 minutes I'm done, I'm going to pause, take a little breather, and eat some M&Ms to reward myself. Um, so it's the the old spoonful of sugar. But if you help them to to do that themselves, maybe the first time you set it up for them, then the next time they're frustrated, you say, hey. Let's break this up, and why don't you set up a reward system for yourself like we did last time? What would you like to do? Um, and help them to set it up. If they've got a little bit of the steering wheel there, they can uh, they can feel good about it, and you can help them to uh, – and probably the most valuable thing they'll learn there is not how to write an essay or, or a thesis statement, but how to take a, a large shredded task and break it down. Um, again, we're, we're training the mind. We're training the person. These are life skills. Yeah. Okay. Um, really quick. So uh, let me let me slightly change gears to to um, so th this is teaching methods and 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 so far you've been giving us a lot of good insight on that. A lot of people are are teaching now, obviously in the home, and there's a whole another set of complications with teaching in the home as opposed to at a school in a classroom, um, and and also your own children, which can make things additionally complicated. Um, and while I don't believe any of us have homeschooled our children. Uh, we, three of us at least, have had extensive experience being homeschooled. Uh, so Cameron and Matt, could you want to give insight or uh, what worked from your perspective as a student of homeschool versus public school, which we both experienced, we all experienced both. Uh, what worked homeschool, what, what was good, and what, uh, what are some ideas for people that they can do at home uh, to, to, to teach? Yeah, I think one of the things that actually helped quite a bit was that you can go at the pace of the of the student. Um, some things you'll find that your child is perhaps needs some additional help in. Sometimes you'll find that your child perhaps is beyond where uh, his or her peers are in the public systems. And that's an opportunity there for to, to focus on any remedial needs and also to 
the word isn't really exploit, but I'm going to use it anyway, exploit any <laughs> strengths and really build on those. Um, for example, child with a high vocabulary, uh, get that kid reading Shakespeare early on. That might have actually happened. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> things like that. But yeah, that's one of the the things to be aware of and to take advantage of <clears throat> is that you can do so much more tailored learning and instruction for the student focusing on that person's needs and that person's strengths. Right. Cameron? Well, as basically the cause for uh, the home <laughs> teaching to happen at our house, um, <laughs> uh, I might have, you know, been one of those kids that had uh, learning difficulties and struggles in certain subjects, not may have been, was, was one, um, and found it very frustrating at times. Uh, one of the things that I know that our mom did for us that helped me a lot was how to disassociate her as my mother and as my teacher. And she had a teaching vest that she wore. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. But, hmm. That does uh, sound familiar now that you say that. So she, she would put on the vest when we were teaching, and that helped me know that she was in teacher mode and I needed to respect her as a teacher because she needed to teach me things. And it was not there to take care of my needs in other ways. So that helped me kind of differentiate between, you know, mom needs, I want mom to take care of me. I want mom to do things for me. And no, mom is my teacher. I need to learn from her right now. So that was one of those things. And much like Matt said, you know, that extra patience that she had to struggle with me to learn my multiplication tables and other things like that. Um, but as soon as I got it, then we clicked and we went massively farther than, you know, it was, it was always fun. She liked it when I learned something because then it breezed through for like the next couple of weeks. So, All right. All right. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I had, I had I had forgotten that. So that's that's a good one. Um, I feel like one of the things that I uh, really enjoyed from our homeschool experience was the like Matt already mentioned the, the flexibility kind of to tailor. But in, in, even in subjects, like um, one of the things that I did a lot in homeschool was play the piano, um, and that's not something that you necessarily do much or get the opportunity to do much in like public school. Uh, but it was something that I really enjoyed. And was something I looked forward to pretty much every day. So, uh, you know, you got to open up their horizons to different things, right? So th their their interests might not lie in uh, elementary math, or you know, but and not like they don't have to do those things, but that that there's something else that they can look forward to uh, that's also part of the educational experience. So, Tim, I see you're nodding yeah. your head. Yeah, the the preferred oh, activity yeah. and oh. Yeah, Sorry, mom used that as a reward, I think, sometimes for you. When you got done with your other schoolwork quickly, you were then allowed to go play the piano. And, yeah. you know, that, that was it's a reward for it, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people, it's a, pun a lot of kids, it's a punishment. <laughs> kind of weird. But, and, and there's such a variety of activities you can do. Um, you know, there's the site code.org. If your kid is interested in, in, like, computer stuff, you know, you can create a free account on code.org and get them learning you know to write code if they like being outdoors have them plant a garden uh 
uh, art, have them study art, you know, YouTube. Uh, it's incredible what you can look up on, on YouTube and learn how to do. Um, so you, it, it's really, you do not have to be an expert at anything anymore to teach your kids how to do it. You know, I can pull up a YouTube video. Are you on, saying like you can learn it from a layman? What? Whoa. Now that's an idea. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> so yeah, pull up a, pull up a YouTube video on how to, you know, draw with a vanishing point and, and have your kid who likes to doodle, you know, have at it and set them down with, for a half an hour with a pad and pencil. And, you know, anyways, so yeah, it, know your kid and, and seek ways to, to help them expand. It's, it's really, in some ways, this, this whole lockdown business is daunting, but it's also a, a great opportunity, um, you know, to, you know, to broaden things. I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes. And I just want to comment and say that I, I had no idea that your guys' mom was so invested in your learning. Oh, Tim. <laughs> All right. Yes. Are we Let's keeping, keeping points tonight? <laughs> no, we're not. Oh, and okay. you'd be losing badly. So, <laughs> um, okay. But I did want to, so on, on this theme of, of doing unconventional net teaching, um, and, and letting kids kind of take their own path and their own hand in their education. Matt, when you did your uh, history in high school, uh, would you like to share with the audience what how you learned history in high school? Uh, no, that will give the audience bad ideas. Um, <laughs> okay, let's go about even just before. because okay. someone no, you know you, just... you watch these things on TV, you see people do stupid things and succeed and come away without destroying their lives or bodies, and you think that's awesome. I can do that. And then you go out and try it yourself, and you end up crippled. Matt, are you telling me, me that you were the inspiration for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I'm the inspiration for many other modern tragedies <laughs> along those lines. Uh, okay, but uh, anyway, beyond no. the one book that you're not mentioning, um, <laughs> you did a lot of history reading, though, even as a kid, because your interest in airplanes. Yeah, well... Um, yeah, as I kind of mentioned, um, the ability to focus where I had strengths uh, was really helpful and helped me get ahead in some ways, uh, including history. That was an interest. Um, the ability to focus in areas where I had weaknesses, uh, you know, like music was important, helped me be able to be competent at something that I would not otherwise have been competent at. Um but what it, but you know there there's the um i think what you're getting at is that there is a certain freedom for instruction when you're in that kind of setting but once you set that instruction it's also important to leave some degree of latitude for the student uh, and that's what i had it wasn't just it's time to study history and and here's the specific textbook and you're going to read these chapters there was some of that, uh, and there had to be some some of that type of structure. But there was also, what do you want to learn about? Uh, how do you think would be the best way to go about learning about it? Uh, we have these types of options. What sounds most uh, intriguing? Now you can't do that with everything because sometimes uh, your your pupil just won't be able to decide, or the decisions will be dumb. 
like I want to watch or to learn history by watching cartoons. I would have tried to pull that. <laughs> um, but if you can get give uh, some latitude in an area where your your student, your child already has a natural interest, uh, then that can be very beneficial. It doesn't become learning. It becomes something that is enjoyable. And learning is not enjoyable, no matter what anyone says. <laughs> That's um, right. We, we, we've worked real hard in the teaching profession to reinforce that basic truth. <laughs> yep. Um, so that, that one is of what the things learned. that we had to do in, in our little school session, we had reading. That was a subject. It was reading. And the latitude that we had for reading was pretty wide. As, as long as it wasn't you know, a complete waste of time, we had options there. So anyway, we had um, plenty of latitude to choose our books. And my interests laid in directions where there was legitimate learning, uh, history, military history especially. Um, so you know, rather than reading Goosebumps or whatever was popular at the time, I was reading... Uh, histories about the Battle of Midway and the Ployesht Air Raid and all these other things that ended up serving me well uh, later in my education. Um, if you can find a way to, I'm going to use the E word again, exploit a child's natural tendencies or interests um, and and capitalize on that to advance their learning, that's always a good thing. And giving them some latitude where possible is often very, very helpful. So it ended up getting me uh, some extra college credits while in high school that I would not have otherwise had. So Nice. And if I could, could go off of that with something that, that Matt uh, touched on a bit as he was talking about that, that latitude is valuable, you know, in content and maybe in, in learning style and so forth. Uh, he, when he mentioned, you know, not doing stupid stuff like watching cartoons, to learn history or whatever. Um, I think that's important to keep in mind limit setting, uh, when you're working with your kids, we, um, I, I see a lot of kids uh, come into my classroom who haven't, um, it's so easy to get distracted in our modern world with our devices and technology. And so just something to keep in mind, you want to establish with your, with your student, uh, some limits. Like, for example, I would just suggest from a teacher's perspective, I would just say, um, have them put their cell phone away or turn it off, uh, while they're working, um, with an exception being if they're actively using their cell phone for some learning app or something. Um, but what you'll see happening a lot of times, kids will be working on their work. They'll have their cell phone there. They're working on something that requires focus. Their cell phone alert goes off that they've got, you know, someone, to, you know, a, I don't know, TikTok or whatever. And soon they're watching that. And and so two things happen there. One, the task doesn't get done, the learning task. And two, they don't get trained in the, um, the skill of uh, attending to one task for a longer period of time, attention. And, and so you have a, have a kid who hasn't learned how to, um, basically whose, whose mind is, is, um, doesn't have that skill. And as a consequence, they lack focus. And then when they approach the next big tough thing, they aren't well prepared to focus for a long time. So, to get to the bottom of this, set some limits with your kids. Um, 
and this can be hard to do, but you, sometimes you just have to make the tough call and say, all right, we're going to, we're going to, um, I'm going to collect your cell phone at nine o'clock this morning and you're going to start working on your schoolwork. And once you've completed your assignments, you demonstrate for me that you have, um, then I will be, I'll return your cell phone to you or, or whatever it is, their video games um, and so forth. Um, set those limits. Yeah. I, I think that's really important. We already we've been talking about you know flexibility a lot, and flexibility is incredibly important. Uh, but there have to there has to be some structure uh, as well, and especially in a home uh, school environment like like Cameron mentioned, with our mother wearing a vest, right? You have to have some type of formality uh, about you know learning, such that it doesn't become uh, yeah, it's not so easy to turn off and and get distracted and, and, uh, not be invested, invested, Tim, in what, uh, in what you're doing. Uh, so, or what, you know, what they're, what they're trying to learn. And so it's important to establish some, um, uh, schedule, I think just so they know, okay, uh, we're going to get up at 11, <laughs> uh, know that, okay, we're going <laughs> to make sure that they're up. Wait, that what? They are, <laughs> reasonable reasonable exactly no that they when you know they wake up they have breakfast and then it's time just time for school right um and uh so it's important that that, that there's that so that structure and that this is our school time these two hours we'll do school then we'll have a, a break you can do whatever you want and then we'll come back and do some more learning after lunch or whatever it might be something along those lines depending on the age of your child and what what you're trying to accomplish with them but instead of uh you know if it's if it's unstructured your child doesn't know what to expect it's hard for them to engage in the same way and uh, and stay focused just like in school you know you have your your period you know, and whether it be 45 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes, whatever your length of a class is, uh, you know, students know that in that time period, they're going to be at this class. Uh, if, if it were indeterminate and it were just up to Tim, how long his class would, uh, would last, I'm guessing, uh, Four him and his students, <laughs> his students and, and he would disagree, uh, frequently on what, uh, what needed to happen. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> Now, and, and keep in mind that those limits, oftentimes you can work that together, make, make the thing that you have to limit your reward, you know, set up your system. So if the kid is griping about, oh, I, I want to, you know, I don't want to lose my cell phone in the morning while I'm working on schoolwork, say, hey, you know what, if that's what motivates you, let's make that your reward. You, uh, you work for a half an hour, and then, you know, you can hop on your cell phone for 15 minutes and and watch your friends' TikTok videos, or you know, post on Instagram, or whatever it is that uh, that you know you want to do. Um, but make that your reward. Um, but but keep it in that system. And just a quick note: I I am a little worried with as many followers as we have on this podcast that there's going to be a vest shortage um, soon here. Well, go ahead and stock up then. Go go to the store and buy That's them. Right. <laughs> if you uh, click the link below, you can uh, order some of our vest merch. Learn it from a layman vests um, embroidered with your initials. If you pay extra, lots of I, extra. I, I hear they're big in biker games right now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we we have leather with chains. We also have the uh, bright orange nylon mesh crossing guard vintage vests. The, Okay. We got it all. The garment industry is very popular with us right now. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's um, a lie. But uh, Cameron, I was going to move on to you one more time. So you've had lots of different educational experiences. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that oh, that was heavy. <laughs> well, I'd say most uh, are, are, we, are we saying that I may or may not have been very settled in school? Is, is that what, well, is right, that well, what, I, what I'm to? saying? Is you, you <laughs> sampled from lots of different fields? Let's just say that. What did you find motivated you to to, to continue, or what what did you find in, in these different educational fields that that worked for you? Um, maybe a, a, across the board, or or in, maybe even a, in a specific area that you haven't seen in other areas. Something something that you took away. Uh, well, I can tell you what I enjoyed the most learning. Um, there you go. I, I could tell you, everyone, that massage school was probably the funnest place to learn um getting massages every day was really great actually imagining that right even <laughs> though massage has the most pressure out of any okay <laughs> just pipe down oh there we go yes <laughs> luckily i i like a good firm pressure. rub you wrong carl oh, <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> oh okay and you enjoyed massage school obviously because uh, well, there are some physical benefits, but uh, anything else? Yeah, it, it was really a good. Um, I don't know if anybody likes to watch Grey's Anatomy. It was learn, see, do. Uh, it's one of the mottos that they had um, on the show. One of their one of their main guys. Anyway, it was one of the things that they learned. Um, so we would learn about what it was, then we would see the example. And then we would do the example and then we would switch with partners and that made it a whole lot easier to learn um, any of the subjects that we were, you know, the techniques and things that we were doing. Um, not only because when we were doing it, we could see it, but then we were also feeling that as we would switch from partner to partner, um, you could understand what it should feel like. Some people we're better at that kind of intuitively knowing, but you can learn faster, I think is the thing, is that you would pick it up. It was in the midst, this is right, this is wrong type feel. Right. Yeah, so that interactive type in education where you get to hands-on, literally, real quick and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I was looking at a couple things um, before we started this, and Hands-on is one of the most, you know, it, it's hard to do that because you need a very um, specialized class sizes, stuff like that. You know, it 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 takes more effort, I would say, right. to do a yep. hands-on high. It's highly technical, so. Right. Uh, so, Tim, yeah. you've got... Well, okay, sorry, go ahead, Cameron. You can finish. No, no, I was like, I mean... Um, I, I've done a lot of hands-on type things. Um, I mean, going through culinary school, I mean, I guess we could just go through all the different schools that I've done. <laughs> but... <laughs> we don't have that much time, Cameron. Uh, we got to cut this. <laughs> but um, culinary school was very similar in a lot of things, but there, as an instructor that wasn't supportive, it actually made it more difficult to learn. 
I mean, I think that's definitely key kind of going between different things like that. If you don't have a, a teacher that's supportive and wanting everyone in the class to learn and succeed and, and constructively pushing them, um, it makes it much more difficult. I mean, I can tell you for sure that I would not do well in Hell's Kitchen. I do not like to be yelled at constantly and told me that I suck. So that is not <laughs> that only works in those me. cooking TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It it would break me quickly. That's right. certainly okay. So once again, going back to just kind of generic teaching methods, and like Cameron said, there's there's hands-on. Tim mentioned right off the bat of the, with this podcast. Um, you know what was it? Uh, Spank prompt. I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> trouble. The, oh shoot! I just got. I've got a call coming in from the CDC here. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean there are different. There are different methodologies, uh, and and different different students. Uh, honestly, tend to learn better in uh, from different methods. Um, and so the nice thing about having a small class size, like Cameron mentioned, I'm sure Tim has experienced, uh, different cl uh, smaller class sizes, you can you can tailor a little bit more. Um, for example, I'm I'm one of your relatively infrequent students. I, I love a good lecture, uh, and <laughs> honest to goodness, I all the classes I can remember from high school and college that I really really enjoyed were lecture-based, like really hard, long lectures. Like we had a history teacher in high school, and she just sat up front with a pack. It's like from Harry Potter's Professor Bins, you know, where uh, where he just talks and the, everyone falls asleep. And uh, But I really enjoyed that history class because it was just lecture start to, start to finish pretty much, uh, and, and that really connected with me. I really like being able to hear the narrative and the, the whole context, but that doesn't obviously work for everyone. So... Um, Tim, what, uh, for different subjects and for different students, um, how do you, how do you, or do you just go in knowing how you're going to kind of pre present the material or, or is it, are you flexible in, in the moment or per class or what, how do you do that? Oh, well, okay. So let, I'll talk theoretical and then actual. <laughs> so in, in uh, public school, so there's there's kind of a different vibe in uh, between public schools and higher education, you know, colleges and so forth. At college is more kind of the the emphasis is more research based, at least in the in the four level university four year universities, where you know teaching is really kind of secondary, um, or at least traditionally has been, and so there's a lot less emphasis on instruction, you know there right now i'm i know there are some amazing and excellent professors and, and learning that goes on but anyways in uh, in the lower levels elementary junior high and high school um in the, the ideal world the world that we aim to do the teachers always have um you know well-planned instruction well prepared and yeah we we know what we're doing going in and we've kind of looked at the content and said okay the for this kind of learning we're going to do this kind of activity and and so forth um, now in practice, you know, there, some days we, we do better than others, but, but yeah, there, there's a whole huge rabbit hole. I mean, it, curriculum development and instruction is, is a, a huge field. Um, you know, you can go get your degree in, in that kind of stuff, um, and spend years studying it, 
but yeah, that I, I would just put out a couple of things that are, you know, maybe like a, a good rule of thumb you can use to evaluate the effectiveness of your um, instruction. Uh, you can safely assume that most learners are not going to be, um, you know, um, the lecture, lecture based is not going to be the ideal for, for most students, especially a junior high or high school student. Um, one thing you want to look for is active production and participation. Um, teachers, you have to we have to watch for this all the time. If I'm the one doing all the talking and doing all the moving and doing all the the problem solving and whatever, then I can bet that my class is not going to be learning as much. Um, so you have to find ways to make the kids active. Um, for example, I'll, I'll just give one really basic and kind of old school example. Um, a Cornell University developed, I think back in like the 60s or whatever, a note system so that when a professor was giving a lecture, the students could be actively engaged, um, not just jotting up, but, you know, they had a section for questions, a section for summary and, and so forth. And so they're, they're actively doing something. Um, and of course, that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but yeah, so as, as you're doing instruction, you want to see your kid active, working and doing. Um, if you have to do something in lecture format, then you want to pause every few minutes and have them do something, either responding to a question, summarizing, explaining to a neighbor, um, doing a, a practice activity based on the on lecture um, or something, you know. So active engagement, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> get, getting into full full teaching form there, Tim, with the blah, blah, blah at the end. With the blah, blah, that's right. Well, I, I usually say that for the end after everyone's warmed up, you know, ready for the blah, blah, blah moment. <laughs> after after no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you I actually just see just how long go, I could. <laughs> yeah, just go full Charlie Brown uh, adult. Uh, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And then keep a stopwatch. See, okay, this class I went thirty seconds, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping this up here. Uh, one thing. So I have relatively minimal uh, experience teaching, uh, formally teaching. I, I taught um, uh, swimming lessons. That's a very different uh, teaching type experience. Um, I none of, no one died though. Uh, this sounds like I'm joking. It wasn't funny at the time. Someone almost did while I was teaching them swimming lessons. So uh, oh, that was scary. <laughs> yeah, but um, we won't delve into that too much. Um, <laughs> but uh, but aside from that, I did teach uh, a year of, of highly motivated uh, young men um, that were going on a church mission. And uh, so I got different groups of young men coming through, and I was supposed to be teaching them Dutch. Um, and I, uh, because the students were incredibly motivated, it turns out teaching wasn't hard. <laughs> turns <laughs> out anytime, <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you have students that are fully engaged and have, uh, and, and are, are very passionate about what they're doing, you could be the 
you could be a very subpar teacher and achieve very good results because a lot of it is on on the student. And so uh, that's not going to help uh, you with teaching methods. But aside from the fact that you need to find somewhere that something that your your students can be motivated in and a way to potentially to motivate them. And uh, so I guess what I'm I'd recommend is you know find something that is that they're passionate about and find a way to work that into the lesson or, or into a subject. And, and maybe there isn't in everything, right? You can't really find something they're passionate about uh, in calculus because who can? Uh, but <laughs> but find, find a way to, to motivate. And, and you know, my, my best years in college were when I started joining research groups. And research groups motivated me because it was actual application of things I was learning. And uh, all of a sudden, I had a reason to do things, and I wasn't. It wasn't just for passing the test. It was I really want to learn this because I'm writing a paper on it. And I'm going to publish, or I'm doing it to you know to actually find out is this thing true, um, and, instead of just answer this question that somebody already has an answer for. And so find find some way that that uh, that they're motivate motivated. Um, and if you find a way to motivate your child in these particular areas, all of a sudden your teaching ability becomes significantly less important. Uh, I'd imagine that Tim is is a pretty darn good teacher, but I'd imagine that the uh, outcome of your students largely depends on the students themselves, right, Tim? <laughs> I I think that's a good perspective as a teacher. I, I've taught at different schools, and I'll just share a quick example. The one school I've taught at, I, I was able to, I actually taught the same curriculum at, at both schools. Um, one school, I was able to get a whole lot farther into that curriculum um, than at the other school. Um, yeah, it, it is just a, the different scenario, different situation. And so I, I think sometimes teachers at a, you know, with, with highly motivated students get a little full of themselves um, and teachers with uh, students who are struggling, get down on themselves. Um, I, I think we got to keep it in perspective. It's not all about us. That in mind, a lot of times teachers will get frustrated and then we'll use that as an out. Well, it's not me, it's a student. So it can go both ways. You want to be careful because there are things you can do as a teacher to make things better and to help. But yeah, recognizing that um, we're not, you know, we're not the only person in the room and, and we're not the only factor. Um, there's a lot going on at home life and, and so forth. Yeah. And with the coronavirus. Yep. Um, okay, final words, Matt, Cameron, anything uh, to add about uh, teaching methods or things to avoid as far as teaching, uh, like spanking, for example? Don't spank, um, especially in school, in public school, Tim. I found that your students <laughs> don't enjoy that. My dad actually, when he started teaching, his first year of teaching, corporal punishment was still allowed, and it was offered as an option for a kid that got disciplined in his class, that or a suspension or, or the paddle, and the kid chose the paddle. <laughs> he's like, let's get this over with. And so, but that was the last year that I think after that corporal punishment was officially ruled out, and um, never since, yeah. All right, Matt, Cameron, any uh, any final words of wisdom? One of my final words of wisdom would be um, some basic psychology because a lot of what we were talking about does go into those different types of basic learning and motivating people, how to get them to learn better. So I think 
grasping some basic understanding about your different type of conditionings and learning models will help you be able to teach and learn yourself, uh, much like Tim was talking about earlier, um, how to do things. Matt? Yeah, so, you know, we talked about the student's motivation. I guess one other thing would be um, take good stock of your own dedication as a teacher. Um, all of this is good advice. Well, okay, everything from Tim has been good advice this time. I don't know about the <laughs> stuff Carl said. Whatever, um, my stuff is genius. <laughs> but all of it takes a lot of time and effort and dedication to actually pull this off. Um, teaching isn't easy. It, I don't think it's designed to be able to be easy. Uh, it requires a lot of investment on the part of the teacher. Uh, so two things for that. One, when you see a teacher, thank them. And mm -hmm. two, uh, go into this with your eyes open. If you are going to take a teaching role, you're, be prepared and commit to the time and, and the mental and emotional investment involved. Uh, don't try to get around it. Just hit it head on and, and go for it. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, and you, for for everyone right now, you don't necessarily, maybe you didn't choose to have a teaching role uh, with your children now stuck at home with you and your uh, your kids' uh, teachers potentially working with them remotely, which is very difficult to, uh, for the teachers themselves. So you have to take a lot of the roles of to do the follow-up and to help them and walk them through. So you're going to be kind of thrust into this. Uh, I'd say just take it seriously. Take it as an opportunity, but it, uh, if you can't view it like that, view it as a responsibility because <laughs> this mm -hmm. is uh they are your children and uh you have uh an act have to take an active hand in their education always uh if you haven't in the past this is a good time to start because you have to so uh tim any any last thing yeah i'll just reinforce that don't don't be down on yourself this is a hard time for everyone um as speaking as a public school teacher we know that uh we know that kids are, um, you know, and, and parents, it's a lot on their plate and we're dedicated to be flexible. Um, just keep trying, just keep trying, communicate with your teachers. Um, and don't, you know, don't feel bad and don't lose sleep over this. There's other things to worry about. Um, and, and then be patient with your teachers too, as, as we're all trying to figure this, this huge shift out as well, you know, if we all give each other a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience, uh, including ourselves, um, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about this someday in the future as, as a story and um, we'll make it through. Yeah. So once again, uh, tell your, uh, your teachers, uh, your kids' teachers, your former teachers, tell them thank you. And now that uh, parents have recognizing everything that goes into it, uh, I'm sure you'll want you have a better understanding. Um, Tim, next year Teacher Appreciation Day will look very good for you, I think. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'd <laughs> take uh, take the opportunity to thank your teachers, but invest uh, some time in your own kids' uh, learning, and uh, and we will see you back again soon with a new podcast. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and don't infect people with the coronavirus if you do you'll have to wear our special infected vest you know to warn others kind of a, okay. no cameron's dog says bye <laughs>